Hi, this is Tony Lloyd. Interviewing people for many years has made me realise that everyone has a life story to tell. Be they sad, amazing or even inspirational, I want to bring as many human stories to you as I can in this series of podcasts. Human Stories with Tony Lloyd. Laurie Personay, welcome to Human Stories. Thank you for talking to me. Thank you for having me here. Now, your story is uh, close to my heart, really, because you moved from Canada. I can tell you're Canadian, by the way, from your accent, and you moved, <laughs> which is great. And you moved, yeah, you moved from Canada to France. So um, I want to hear all about that and any funny stories you've got. What, what first of all, made you move from Canada to France? Well, wouldn't you like to guess? It's a question of love. Oh, I fell in love with the Frenchman. Oh, my word. Um, He was, yes, my word, my life. Um, (laughs) He was in Canada working up north. I come from the northern part of Canada in Saskatchewan. And Pierre uh, came over with his company to work up in the uranium mines in northern Saskatchewan. And uh, we met uh, through a very twisted, um, how shall I say it, a very complicated series of events. We should have never met, ever, but we did. Was it on, I on the internet? with him and I followed him to France. Did you meet on the, over the internet? Not at all. This was in, oh, are you kidding? That was in 1980. Ah. Oh, I must look off young. <laughs> you do. <laughs> 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 you do indeed. Of course, so pr- before yeah, internet and before the social media and everything. Uh, practically before the telephone. Yeah. Well, I when I, when I first got to France, it was $400 a minute. Yeah. So how, how did you actually physically meet then? But, uh, sorry, I didn't catch the question. How, how did you meet this French chap? Well, is that going to be part of the story? Um, okay, you need to know two things. Uh, Pierre worked in a city called Saskatoon, but he had to fly up north to Clough Lake, which doesn't have any roads to get there. You can only fly in. Mm -hmm. And I lived in Saskatoon as um, a dancing teacher. And I was teaching two little uh, girls whose mother was a secretary of the office my future husband worked in. Okay, yep. are you ready for this? Yeah, got it. She, she's Spanish. She's Spanish. My best girlfriend at the time was Spanish. She's still my best girlfriend. We're still in touch. And we were doing Spanish dancing together for the Spanish club in Saskatoon. Now, the Spanish secretary decided that these two young Frenchmen who had only just arrived must be without friends and out, and for sure no family. So she invited them to a Valentine's Day party at a children's gymnasium that was all dressed up in hearts and everything. And we bumped into each other there. Wow. That's fantastic. <laughs> and okay, so you, did you, was it love at first sight at the Valentine's bash? Not at all. Not for me. No, not, I, was, I was without a man and determined not to have one at that point. Um, and uh, Pierre asked me to dance, and uh, I said yes. And then he wanted my phone number, so I said, well, yes. And I thought, oh, he'll never phone. doesn't matter. <laughs> I was just happy dancing. 
And the next day he phoned and asked me out. So I went. And then the next day and the next day and the next day. And finally, I said, stop. I said, no, this is getting far too serious. I am not ready to date a Frenchman. I'm not ready to date a man. Um, so go away. And I closed the door. <laughs> Poor Pierre. Poor Pierre. And then he called again the next day. And the next day. And the next day. So was, and while the rest is history. He was very persistent then. He gave in eventually. <laughs> oh, so, I ended up giving in because I got tired of saying no. So obviously, <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm sure you must have fallen in love with him, obviously. I, I, so, I did, so, yeah. so what happened next? Because um, then, then you moved to France with Pierre. Yes, I did. Pierre's position in Canada was only temporary. He was only being lent out to his company as an expert in the field. And so he had to come back. Okay. And, and so it, took me, it took me over two years to decide whether I was going to follow him. Really? And I, in the end, I decided I would, yeah. Did, yeah, it wasn't an overnight decision. Did you do some trips to, to have a look first to, to help you? Yeah, I did. But um, I went out once and stayed with him and his family for three weeks. But it was at a beach resort, and it was all just fun and wonderful and fantastic. And mm. on the beach at Le Bol, Le Pouligan Le Bol, and like it was just a kind of dream holiday. So it never really gave me um, an inkling of what was waiting in the wings. <laughs> okay, that's brilliant. I want to find out now what's waiting in the wings. Uh, so you moved to France. <laughs> <laughs> you moved to France um, with uh, young Pierre. And uh, and what happened? Did he move into his house? Or what was the situation? Well, um, we uh, he had to work at, in Paris at that time. So we moved into a small apartment in uh, Saint-Saint-Denis, which is in the north of Paris. And we stayed there for six weeks. Mm -hmm. And then we moved down to Aix-en-Provence for a couple of years. Uh, oh. So I started off in a rough area of the northern Paris suburbs, not speaking French, coming from a very kind, gentle, wonderful Canadian city where there's pra there, at the time there was practically no violence anywhere. I mean, if you killed a mosquito, that was, you know, about as violent as the place would get mm. into the northern uh, suburbs of Paris. So I was completely out of my element, completely. And I couldn't speak French yet. Wow. So okay. I suppose the first crazy thing that happened was I needed to buy a can of paint. And I didn't know the word for paint. <laughs> <laughs> right. And this is before Google Translate, obviously. <laughs> but you, yeah, oh, much. But you might, you might have had, did you have a, a French-English dictionary? I did. I had one of those little pocket ones yeah. um, with words and phrases. And so I looked up the word paint and I probably pronounced it very badly. Mm. And uh, I came home and I paid, I didn't know how much paint cost in France, so I just paid it. It was a little can of paint to do some touching up and painting in the apartment. And when I told Pierre the price of the paint, he went, take it back. <laughs> you have been exploited. A can of paint does not cost that. So he came with me and took it back and they apologized up and down, claiming a mistake. <laughs> mm. Does happen, does happen. All right. Okay. So uh, that was the apartment in north of Paris, and you moved to somewhere better? Yes, we moved to Aix-en-Provence, which is in the south of France, 
Uh, it's a very resort town, so it was a very nice place to be. Mm, on the coast? Yes. Well, sort of on the coast. Mm. Fantastic. And so, and so Pierre was still working for the same company. What were you doing? I was trying to learn French. Yeah. Um, so that I wouldn't make terrible mistakes when I spoke to my parents-in-law, like the first thing I said at uh, a one time at their place was just, oh, it was so embarrassing, but now it's very funny. So my first thing was getting some French lessons. Uh, when we went to his parents' place one time, his father was quite elderly already by that time. It was nearly 17 years between my mother-in-law and my father-in-law. Um, she, Because of the war, all the all the young men were dead, so the young ladies were often marrying older men at the time, and so that's what happened. And so he was quite elderly already, and he was deaf, so he couldn't hear. So that actually worked in my favor. However, my mother-in-law could hear very well. And um, they kept their house hot, quite the temperature quite high for him because he was old and elderly and very frail and not well. So it was just roasting in there. And I had come from Canada where it was like minus 30, and it, I was just dying in the heat. So I very sweetly said in my very rough French, je suis chaude. And in French, that means that I'm horny. Yes. And I had no idea that that's what I was saying to my mother-in-law and all the people sitting around the table. We were newlyweds. The entire table absolutely cracked up, cracked up. And I said, I sat there with a kind of blank expression. I had no idea what was going on. None. So I said to Pierre, why are they laughing? And he said, you just told them you're horny. And I said, oh, oh, so what should have I said? <laughs> I think and he taught me the uh, it, it is uh, good. I think <laughs> thank heavens for that. I, I think just oh. just sweet arrive is even worse, isn't it? <laughs> Which one? Just sweet arrive. Just about, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you like, can um, interpret that one in many, many different ways. <laughs> yeah. you need, for that one, you need context. Yeah. But the one that I said, you no context, whatever. Everybody understood. That was it. Was oh, what a great story. Fantastic. <laughs> Those were my language, the adventures I had with language because I like to talk and I have a big mouth that rattles on and you've probably figured that out by now. And so it didn't matter what languages it was. I just, my mouth just rattled on. Brilliant. Uh, so how's your French now? Perfect. Excellent. Wow. <laughs> I speak very good French now. Um, after that, I went to university and I studied French language, French literature, French everything I could. Um, it took me a long time to get really good French. But at one point when people started saying, I wish I could speak English as well as you speak French, coming out of the French people, mm. that was quite a high compliment. So mm. now my French is really good. That's I can fantastic. speak it. I can write it. Because in parts, I can talk to them. in parts of Canada, they speak French as well, don't they? They do, mostly in Quebec. Um, where I come from is 3,500 kilometers northwest of Montreal. Uh, so we don't speak French where I come from. Right, understood. I'm learning so much. This is brilliant. <laughs> I'm learning about <laughs> Canada as well as France and about you. Well, there you go. Uh, that's fantastic. No. I suppose it helps to have a uh, French husband. You know, do you speak – what's what's your native language together as a couple? Do you speak French or, or English? 
Well, that depends on what period in our lives we're talking about. Um, beginning, middle, end. <laughs> okay. In the beginning, Pierre and I spoke French so that my French would improve. And then I got sick of speaking French. So one day I told him, that's it, I'm not speaking French to you anymore. And I stopped. And we speak English, which is good for him to maintain his English. Mm. He's bilingual as well, a yep. very good English speaker. That's great. And then when children were born, then I spoke English to the children and Pierre spoke French to the children. And he and I spoke whatever we needed at whatever moment happened. <laughs> so it's been a mixture. That's good. That's very good. I find uh, when I speak to uh, a French person, um, obviously they know I am English and I've got a, a, a broad North London accent as well. And my French is terrible and it also has a broad North London accent. And what I, find, <laughs> <laughs> what I find happens, you know, the French people can't understand me because of that. And, and what I find happens is um, I speak to them in French or pigeon French Okay, very simple French that I can manage. And they then start talking to me back in English. <laughs> so you get the French person trying to speak English and I'm trying to speak French. And we communicate that way. It's hilarious. But it happens all the time. <laughs> Do you find that? That used to happen in the beginning, but not anymore. No, all right. Now it's at the point where if people want to practice their English with me, I just know. Please don't practice your English with me. Let's speak French. And so they try to speak to me in English, and I just keep speaking French to them <laughs> because my French is more understandable than their English. <laughs> yes, I can, I can see that. Um, but uh, I think uh, as far as French people is, con is concerned, um, from what I know, is that um, you say uh, parlez-vous anglais and they go, no. And actually they can, but they don't want to embarrass themselves. It's all about being embarrassed. And I was speaking to somebody else in uh, English the other day, a French lady, and um, she, she was trying to get her head into speaking English. And she can speak pretty good English, but not, not obviously perfect. And uh, she said, oh, I'm... Um, and I think a, a glass of wine would help. <laughs> and it is all about giving her confidence and making her relax so that she could then, uh, you know, not be embarrassed about making any mistakes. And I think the French are very proud people. Correct me if I'm wrong, you know better than I. But I think they're very proud and they're, they're worried about uh, embarrassing themselves. Is that right? Yes, that's right. And they're especially proud of their language. Mm. So they are very um, language sensitive. And since they are so proud of their French language, they would be very embarrassed not to speak English as well as they speak French. And I think that's a big, um, uh, a big important cultural aspect mm. of the French people speaking a foreign language. Yeah, well, I, I can respect that. That's no problem. Um, and also there's lots of different um, dialects around the country, like there is in the UK, for example. I mean, in, in, in uh, Great Britain, if you travel 100 miles, they speak totally differently, but they're still speaking English. And, you know, you have to, yeah, you have to retrain. I think most, most countries are like that. Uh, but especially okay. in France, I mean, I go into the bakery and I go, bonjour, um, je voudrais une baguette, s'il vous plaît. And they look at me as if I'm mad. And I think that's, <laughs> I think that's quite good. And they don't understand that. And it's because, <laughs> and I'm going, I'm sure I've 
uh, you know, my, my pronunciation is terrible, but I'm sure I got the words in the right order, <laughs> you know. So come on, give us some, <laughs> give us some slack, Mrs. Baker. And, and it's because uh, the bakery that I went into is in the south of France and it's near the Occitan region, which is another language, a mix between Spanish and French, as you know. And a baguette yes. isn't a baguette, it's a baguette. And if you don't put the t on the end of the baguette, they refuse to acknowledge it. <laughs> Could I just have bread? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a lot easier. <laughs> or you could just grunt and point at it on the shelf. But yeah, that, that would work. Uh, well, yeah, I, I try. You know, I'm trying to. And also, another thing I've found talking to. Sorry, I'm taking over your interview now, but it's all related. Is is that happy doing it that way? <laughs> <laughs> is that um, if you speak French to a French person, they really love you for making the effort. Is that right? Yes, they do. They do. Because for you to try and speak their language, of which they are very proud, mm. um, is an honor. It's considered an honor. So if you make an effort and do the very best that you can, most people will appreciate that. Right. And that's maybe why they try and speak English back to you. It could be. It could be. I suppose after that, it sort of depends on the person. And, yeah. And we won't. We won't go into. The, we won't go into the psychological aspects of French people. It's too complicated. Oh no, that <laughs> would be much more complicated than an interview for twenty minutes. <laughs> okay, so um, there you are. You're in France. Did you you and Pierre get married in France? Oh, we got married in Canada a couple of times, in front of a, a judge and in front of a church mm -hmm. churchman. And then we came to France and we did the whole thing all over again. We got married at the embassy. We got married about seven times. Yeah, we're wow. pretty married. Fantastic. When's the next one? <laughs> I <laughs> don't know. We haven't thought about it in 40 years. Well, and, and when you do, don't forget to send me an invite. I will. I'll be there. I will. <laughs> Assuming we can travel. Um, have you got any, okay. any regrets about moving to France from Canada? Because Canada's a lovely country, isn't it? Well, so is France. But have yeah. you got any, any regrets? I suppose, I suppose my biggest regret is being so far from my family, my sisters, my nieces and nephews, my great nieces and nephews, while well, my parents have long since deceased, but um, my aunties and uncles. It's just, I think the hardest part of moving from one country to the next was leaving family behind, knowing that, you know, I couldn't afford to fly from France all the way to Saskatchewan every six months if I felt a little bit lonely. Mm. So it's a very long and expensive trip. Yeah. So I think that was that's the biggest regret, having left family behind. Uh, now Nowadays with the internet and Zoom and everything else, it makes it much easier. But way back in the early 80s, when I first came over, I came over in 1982. Um, the, like I said before, telephone calls were 400 Dollar, uh, 400 French francs uh, an hour, mm. which was, I can't remember at the time, maybe 70 or $80 an hour, Canadian dollars an hour at the time. Yeah. Well, I mean, you just couldn't sit there and chew the fat. If I phoned mm. home, it was to just say hello and is everybody okay? And I just wanted to hear your voice and thank you very much and let's hang up. You know, you couldn't sit and chat. Yeah, understood. Uh, any other funny stories you can tell us? Oh, dear. Uh, 
I've got loads of them. They just have to be triggered in some way. Just just pick uh, a big one. I suppose something very funny. Uh, I used to teach at the École Supérieure de Commerce de Chambéry. It's a, a, a business school that was run by the Chamber of Commerce and Industry here in Chambéry. That school has since closed. But at the time when I was teaching master's degree students, I was teaching them business English. But I also wanted to make it as um, friendly and as humorous as I possibly can because business English can be a little bit dry. So I would usually try to prepare something humorous at least, oh, a couple times a week. Um, but that got to be very difficult because what I considered funny, my French students did not get. I would say something that I thought was hilarious and that my Canadian or even my English friends who had the same sort of language culture, at least, um, would find quite funny. And I would sit there and I would say something funny and I'd have a big smile on my face and start laughing. And there they sat with their straight French faces, <laughs> not a smile or a blink on them. Oh dear. And so I would, have, I would have to explain why it was funny. And by the time I explained why it was funny, it wasn't funny anymore. No. <laughs> Lost the moment. <laughs> the moment was lost. So at one point I decided I would try to prepare the funny. And so I would make sure they had all the reference points if there was a, a movie or a person or a, an event that they needed to know about before they could understand why the, the joke was funny. I'd prepare that ahead. And then the following day I would land the joke. It was a little bit better, but it still wasn't very successful, so I stopped. <laughs> so, yeah, cancel the comedy. <laughs> yeah, forget the comedy. Okay, um, so uh, what are you up to these days now after all those uh, decades now you've been in France? Yeah, just about four decades. Mm. Um, well, after I, after I quit, well, after my school closed down, and um, I decided to train as an intercultural coach because of all of my intercultural uh, interest from having moved from one culture to another. So I did that. And I have a few coaching clients for that every now and again. And then I got myself involved in neurolinguistic programming. So I did that and got my qualifications in that. And then my grandchildren started arriving and now I'm a grandmother and now I'm doing that. <laughs> busy lady. Yeah, oh. yeah, I just keep myself busy and I have sort of my old lady activities. I do flamenco dancing and bob and lace and um, aqua gym and all kinds of things. Brilliant. What would you say to somebody thinking about emigrating from any country to any country? Um, be prepared to be alone. Be prepared to have some really, really hard moments where you wish you never made that decision. But don't quit. It turns out to be something very enriching when you get over the hard parts. Brilliant. Laurie, thank you so much for talking to me on Human Stories. You've been very entertaining, inspirational, just exactly what we like here on Human Stories. Thank you so much. Thank you, Tony. It was, it was fun for me to do. Human Stories is a free podcast with no fees paid to contributors in the hope that they'll somehow inspire and help other people. Get in touch if you've got a story to tell. If you or your organisation would like a professional podcast series to get your message across, contact me to chat about the very reasonable costs involved. Human Stories with Tony Lloyd.